0: Section 32 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. Section 32. Chapter 4. Language cannot express the awful ire of William the Testy on hearing of the catastrophe at Fort Good Hoop. For three good hours his rage was too great for words, or rather the words were too great for him being a very small man and he was nearly choked by the misshapen nine-cornered dutch oaths and epithets which crowded at one into his gullet at length his words found vent and for three days he kept up a constant discharge anathematizing the yankees man and woman and child for a set of divin Twist doijenitin twistzokarin lucen cocken beden and a thousand other names of which unfortunately for posterity history does not make mention finally he swore that he would have nothing more to do with such a squatting bundling guessing questioning swapping pumpkin eating molasses daubing shingle splitting cider watering horse jockeying notion peddling crew that they might stay at fort good hoop and rot before he would dirty his hands by attempting to drive them away, in proof of which he ordered the new raised troops to be marched forthwith into winter quarters, although it was not as yet quite midsummer. great despondency now fell upon the city of New Amsterdam. It was feared that the conquerors of Fort Goodhoop, flushed with victory and apple brandy, might march on to the capital, take it by storm, and annex the whole province to Connecticut. The name of Yankee became as terrible among the New Nederlanders as was that of Gaul among the ancient Romans, insomuch that the good wives of the Manhattos used it as a bugbear wherewith to frighten their unruly children. Everybody clamored round the governor, imploring him to put the city in a complete posture of defense, and he listened to their clamors. Nobody could accuse William the Testy of being idle in time of danger, or at any other time he was never idle but then he was often busy to very little purpose when a youngling he had been impressed with the words of solomon go to the ant thou sluggard observe her ways and be wise in conformity to which she had ever been of a restless ant-like turn hurrying hither and thither nobody knew why or wherefore busying himself about small matters with an air of great importance and anxiety and toiling at a grain of mustard seed, in the full conviction that he was moving a mountain. In the present instance he called in all his inventive powers to his aid, and was continually pondering over plans, making diagrams, and worrying about with a troop of workmen and projectors at his heels. At length, after a world of consultation and contrivance, his plans of defense ended in rearing a great flagstaff in the center of the fort, and perching a windmill on each bastion these warlike preparations in some measure allayed the public alarm especially after an additional means of securing the safety of the city had been suggested by the governor's lady it has already been hinted in this most authentic history that in the domestic establishment of william the testy the gray mare was the better horse in other words that his wife ruled the roost and, in governing the governor, govern the province, which might thus be said to be under petticoat government. Now it came to pass, that this time there lived in the Manhattos, a jolly, robustuous trumpeter, named Anthony von Corlier, famous for his long wind, and who, as the story goes, could twang so potently upon his instrument, that the effect upon all within hearing was like that ascribed to the Scotch bagpipe when it sings right lustily I the nose this sounder of brass was moreover a lusty bachelor with a pleasant burly visage a long nose and huge whiskers he had his little bowery or retreat in the country where he led a roystering life giving dances to the wives and daughters of the burghers of the manhattoes insomuch that he became a prodigious favourite with all the women young and old he is said to have been the first to collect that famous toll levied on the fair sex at kissing bridge on the highway to hellgate to the sturdy bachelor the eyes of all the women were turned in this time of darkness and peril as the very man to second and carry out the plans of defence of the governor a kind of petticoat council was forthwith held at the government house at which the governor's lady presided and this lady as has been hinted being all-potent with the governor, the result of these councils was the elevation of Anthony the trumpeter to the post of commandant of windmills and champion of New Amsterdam. The city being thus fortified and garrisoned, it would have done one's heart good to see the governor snapping his fingers and fidgeting with delight, as the trumpeter strutted up and down the ramparts, twanging defiance to the whole Yankee race as does a modern editor to all the principalities and powers on the other side of the atlantic in the hands of anthony van corliere this windy instrument appeared to him as potent as the horn of the paladin Astolfo, or even the more classic horn of alecto nay he had almost the temerity to compare it with the ram's horns celebrated in holy writ at the very sound of which the walls of jericho fell down Be all this as it may, the apprehensions of hostilities from the East gradually died away. The Yankees made no further invasion. Nay, they declared they had only taken possession of Fort Goodhoop as being erected within their territories. So far from manifesting hostility, they continued to throng to New Amsterdam with the most innocent countenances imaginable, filling the market with their notions, being as ready to trade with the Netherlands as ever and not a whit more prone to get to the windward of them in a bargain the old wives of the manhattoes who took tea with the governor's lady attributed all this affected moderation to the awe inspired by the military preparations of the governor and the windy prowess of anthony the trumpeter there were not wanting illiberal minds however who sneered at the governor for thinking to defend his city as he governed it by mere wind but william Kieft was not to be jeered out of his windmills he had seen them perched upon the ramparts of his native city of sardam and was persuaded they were connected with the great science of defence nay so much piqued was he by having them made a matter of ridicule that he introduced them into the arms of the city where they remain to this day quartered with the ancient beaver of the manhattos an emblem and memento of his policy i must not omit to mention that certain wise old burghers of the manhattos skilful in expounding signs and mysteries after events have come to pass consider this early intrusion of the windmill into the eustachian of our city which before had been wholly occupied by the beaver as portentous of its after fortune when the quiet dutchman would be elbowed aside by the enterprising yankee and patient industry overtopped by windy speculation. Footnotes. The bridge here mentioned by Mr. Knickerbocker still exists, but it is said that toll is seldom collected nowadays, excepting on slaying parties by the descendants of the patriarchs, who still preserve the traditions of the day. End of section 32. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.